Welcome to How to Win the Lottery Season 3 Internet Module. No one is talking about this by Patricia Lockwood. I'm Joey Lewandowski. Hi, Joey Lewandowski. What's new with you? What's new with you and who are you? Oh, well, you, whatever. Don't don't, <laughs> don't ask who I am. Who's calling in and where are you calling <laughs> from? Don't. Uh, we got, you're on with Delilah. What? What's ailing you tonight? These are jokes I don't even understand. What you're you don't talking know Delilah? About. No. Delilah's like the most famous, like late night radio. She's like people call with her their sorrows, and she plays a song for them. She gives them advice and plays a song for them. What station is this? I have no idea. Radio host Delilah. Don't just Google. Okay. She just is Delilah, American radio personality, best known for the host of a nationally syndicated nightly U.S. radio song request and dedication program. With an estimated 8 million listeners, she first aired in Seattle as Delilah Renee, though now she's known simply as Delilah. Great. We're all a little bit better for that. Cat named Dr. Butthole? <laughs> Bob, what is no one is talking about this about? That's uh, a tough one. It's tough, to, it's tough to describe. Aside from saying that it's about the internet um, and then not about the internet anymore at some point. But also I think distinctly still about the internet when it's not being about the internet. Sure, maybe. I think it's about online life in the Trump era. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and then tr- ways we try to escape reality. You know, the online life in the Trump era and the humor that exists with, within that context is only possible because of the, the scaffolding of the humor that led us to yes. that context, which is a hard thing to explain. Because the first half of this novel is essentially a person describing the different memes and things that they've enjoyed or 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 the different kinds of humor that the internet has brought to her what is the profession of the narrator because i don't think anybody in this book has a name is she like a, a speaker author yeah yeah i think she's a novelist or, she, or a poet uh, she, or like a professionally online person toward the end and then in the in the acknowledgments there's mention of like a presentation at the british museum where it's just about like memes and stuff and like yes binge and stuff like that. Well, I think I think this is essentially a nonfiction book that we that will that will treat it as a novel um, because it's presented as a novel. But I think that the way I also described it, and I think it's again the same thing and what we talked about earlier season. This is kind of like the older, wearier sister of literally show me healthy person. I think. I think they're both like it's like if that person, if that Darcy character in that novel kind of grew up and just like kept dealing with like the internet and then became a Trump era and then had real life happen to her in a way. I think it's the opposite of that. Cause I think, I think uh, literally show me a healthy person is the, the almost like an X-ray of an online life. Whereas this is, this is a camera turned outwards. Okay. Um, and, and it is sort of analyzing this kind of humor and not just humor, but cultural existence that, uh, becomes more and more obscure until it's impossible to find our way back to the original thing, right? Until it's impossible to find out what to, to explain why something is funny in particular. Uh, we've, we've entered an era of absurdism where the thing that is funny is how something doesn't really make sense or the slight alteration of the pronunciation of a word, mm-hmm. right? Whether that be, saying babby instead of baby or right. binch instead of bitch or um spoopy instead of spooky there's a, mil- a million examples of that particular thing where it's like 
uh, spelling sneeze with an A instead of two E's. Right. Uh, well, three E's, I guess. All of these are examples of, of like, sort of inexplicable humor that is nonetheless, like, you know, you recognize it as being funny when you see it. But, like, to our parents... Like I'm at the I'm at the I think Patricia Lockwood and I are probably roughly around the same age I'm not really sure, but I'm at like the old version of this. Like I I am um, at the point now where and a lot of cultures like this like hip hop is like this to me now too where like there's a bunch of new artists and I'm just like oh, I don't know who that is anymore. Yep. And and like with with uh, memes and stuff like that I'm just like. At one time, I kept up with this stuff, and now it is, like, completely beyond me, and I can no longer I, – I can't – like, it's outpaced me. Well, as we're recording this, and I know that you're, you don't, you're not on Twitter anymore, so I'm kind of half explaining to you and half also just putting this in a time and place. But as you're as we're recording this, this past week, there was a meme on Twitter of, like – you know, like, all those memes that have been around for years where it's, like, usually a guy – it looks like it's a picture of a guy like mansplaining something to a girl and people change the text to like whatever. Yeah. There was one this week that apparently was back from like 2019 that just resurfaced now where it's a girl at like an EDM concert doing a thing to a guy. And so that went around. But it's one of those things where I'm like, I've seen this image three times in 15 minutes. I got to figure out what this is. And like you go and know your meme and like girl explaining to guy at music festival or whatever, like you can find it. Like there's like a real, but like out of context, like I don't know what this is, but then you, you sort of pick up the context and it's like, I don't need to know that, but I also feel like I do need to know that because, like, if I'm scrolling through Twitter and then, like, by the next day, I saw, like, 15 of them. They were just everywhere. But it's, like, yeah. you you have to put in the work, but it's also, like, if you don't know know your meme, like, you're not going to know what to look up or, like, where this picture is. Or, like, are these real? Like, it's just a weird layer on layer on layer. The one thing I do want to say is that I love – I think the acknowledgments in this are some of my favorite acknowledgments in any book we've covered. I think they're so linked to the text but the first thing is my thanks to my editor, Paul Slovak, who accompanied me on this journey despite not knowing what a binge is. <laughs> and it's just like you can – it's hard to explain. Uh, yeah, because because I think it's something that you had to – you almost have to be a, a, an online native mm-hmm. to understand it. And like, you know, there's a section here where she talks about, you know uh, – uh, our parents texted us the the eggplant emoji without knowing what it was. Right, and you get this with, um, you know, I remember there was a time when when parents would write lol lol at the, love. at the end of things like oh your your baby died lol, and it's just like you just don't you you don't understand what that means to most of the world. There was a guy who went viral like this like business leader in the last two weeks who. Um, he, you know, like LFG, like especially like the Mets have like like the yeah. court, like LFD, LFG is like let's fucking go. But this uh, guy, he thought that meant let's form group. <laughs> All right. And so like just you know I guess crypto Twitter or whatever. Like I, I saw it like I saw a news thing about that in reading, but it's just like, dude, like I just take a second to Google like what this means. I don't know. Yeah, I mean I've I've had that 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 kind of thought a million times because you know FTW meaning for, for the, the win, win. Yep. but predating for the win FTW is FTW fuck the world oh. which which existed before FTW for the okay. win so for a decade every time i saw FTW for the and someone obviously using it for the win i thought you fool <laughs> that's not what that means that's not what that's supposed right. to mean right and i was like you know on my high horse about it. But, she, you know, there's a part in here where the narrator talks about, like, sort of one of the magics of the internet is this idea that, 
a message board, no matter what it's dedicated to, if it if the people in it are clever enough or articulate enough, mm-hmm. can change language for good because they can, you know, the, this this sort of language changes within the context of that message board, right. and then it bleeds outside of that message board yep. and goes further and further into the entire world. I mean, nothing more than than like uh, Black Twitter, for example, which has been like almost like the phrases and and memes and stuff that have come out of Black Twitter have almost been completely co-opted by uh, or appropriated by like uh the entire rest of the internet and so, so much so that like so it's hard to trace their, right. their origins all the way back which is like sort of a, a a miniaturized version of the entire world and all of culture anyway so it's it's you know another example of the internet as being like this xeroxed copy of of the world at large but what i think this book also does well at least the first half of this book something we're talking about right now is it explains kind of the stupidity of virality mm-hmm. like it seems like the narrator character got famous or internet famous by just tweeting can a dog be twins and yeah. like that blew up and then she became a thing like a source for jokes and inspiration and entertainment or whatever online and like it's a funny idea because it makes no sense and like it's simple and like it it does seem like something that would go viral but it's like wait hold on it, it that's just like the basis and like it, she becomes this like thought leader or whatever i guess or like it, it evolves into a thing but like that whether or not that's exactly what happened or like if Patricia do you know, like did she become was she a Twitter person first and then became an author? Uh, uh, she's a poet okay. a, a fairly fairly popular poet but she had a series that made her pretty popular on Twitter called um, there it was just sexts but the sexts were were completely abstract and very very strange and not really sexual at all but she was putting them under this umbrella of sex okay and it was really really funny and then she had a viral poem called the rape joke oh or just rape joke which okay. is which is uh a first person account of um a rape that happened to the narrator of 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 that poem but also like you know is using the sort of uh, humor that exists within within this this book and 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 the rest of her her canon, but like again, like similar to the way that this book uses it, like using humor to get at something that's like a very very deeply serious and and uh, sad and troubling thing. Because I did look her up. I remember that I looked her up. That she wrote a memoir, of Priest, Priest Daddy. Daddy. Did yeah. you read that? Yeah, I did. Was it good? Yeah, very good. And then she delivered a lecture in 2018 titled "How Do We Write Now." For Oregon, W-R-I-T-E, how do we, like, write now? For Oregon-based publisher Tin House, mm-hmm. and that sort of inspired this. So after she wrote Priest Daddy, she was started writing this slowly, I think, before the pandemic, then finished in the pandemic, mostly writing this on her iPhone. Okay. Which feels kind of of the... Like, I think that was... If we got a chance to talk to her, I would want to talk to her because I felt like it wasn't something I considered, but when we talked to Darcy... She was like, I didn't want to have an ebook of this because I wanted you to have to actually physically hold this in your hands and read it. Yeah. Once I read that she wrote this on an iPhone, I like read most of it on the iPhone because I'm like, this kind of feels like the medium it's intended for. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that was a conscious thought or not, like if it's more digital or not. But it's something that I wouldn't have thought about before we talked to Darcy. But, you know. Yeah, it beats me. And it also began as a diary written in the third person, which I guess sort of lends credibility to the fact that it's probably nonfiction. It's not no. I I wouldn't say that it's nonfiction. It's no, it's noted here as a novel. The narrator is is not named. Well, would you how do you describe it before as nonfiction or it's, it's no under the no? Guise I, of... I, well, I don't know. 
But I, you know, we treat it like it's fiction. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, I think that it's 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 fictionalized for sure. Or yeah. is that is that still the same thing? No, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't know. Okay, it's not. It's not like I don't think it's that concrete. But I think that it, there's like, you know, obvious uh, biographical stuff in here that feels true based on the acknowledgments and based on like who the, not the narrator because it's written in third person, but who the the main character is. Sure. Uh, and and so that stuff, you know, gels in a way that reads like you might be reading autobiography or you might be reading fiction or whatever but fiction gives it the the flexibility to do whatever it wants within sure you know between the covers i think another thing that's interesting and maybe just to add sort of narrative literary flair is that she refers to essentially trump as the dictator and the internet as the portal yeah which i think are both i guess a way just to like make it more uh, at least the Trump thing more timeless even though it's very kind of mm-hmm. feels firmly rooted to this time but it also is like you're not saying a name so it could be anybody but we we know who it is yeah it's it's interesting to to create that that tension of timelessness because memes are so memes and and, and all the humor in this book is so dated by the time that it, this book came out everything that all the jokes that are made all the jokes that she references mm-hmm. have all already long since expired on the internet timeline because like the internet moves incredibly quickly and we're right. already like past all of those all of those jokes um something that i wanted to talk about last when we recorded last time which was the snow crash episode was talk about memes in the richard dawkins sense of the term meme like are you familiar with the it's a thing that's widely shared, right? Is that, yeah, that's yeah. Just so, a, the... so a thing, a thing that's like, like almost like a, a viral idea that re, uh, repeats itself, um, mm-hmm. but is like, you know, Caucasian blink dot gif or um, any kind of that humor uh, repeats itself, and then we are compelled to repeat yeah. it, and then other people are compelled to repeat it, and it multiplies, and and through multiplying takes on different forms and different. Um, every variation and then it, it and, and then it burns itself out in a day or two yeah and so like to write a book cataloging those specific instances is interesting because it's like you know it's not like um in the past when a trend would last a year or, or six right. months it's like now trends the, the, the trends of 2016 lasted two days three days well that's the thing like that that meme i was describing before about the girl explaining like by the by the end of the second day i was like we got to stop this like it's too, it's too much like i've seen it too many times yeah because everybody wants to be a part of it and then by being a part of it it kills the thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so does that do you think that makes this book more timeless or more timely or well in some ways it's it's i i think it's timeless but also i lived through this so every time that she talked and and i lived i was specifically like quote unquote extremely online which is a phrase that like yeah. exists within the yeah, context yeah, yeah. of uh like an era of people who know something about that mm-hmm, specific mm-hmm. era but not much outside of it, it th- this book takes place during uh, you know a period where i was partially the most online that i've ever been yep. which is partially because of uh politics stuff which i like completely burnt out on 
and so like going through it was a reminder of each of those things. I was like, oh yeah, I remember that. I remember that. I remember all these things yeah. one by one. And like I thought many of them were funny at the time and then they burnt out and then they wrapped around and then they came back and yep. they, you know, so I, I, I don't know. Um, but what I do think, what, what, what I do think this novel is doing in a really interesting way is uh, like we ta- we've talked about post-structuralism here before, which is the idea of um, moving past the foundations of the culture that we, that we've sit on, because the the basis of those foundations are subjective and thus possibly incorrect. So all of these things like patriarchy, religion, uh, gender, race, all all of these things are are worth questioning and worth questioning the social construct of it all, and. Um, the internet is is largely the mechanism through which we we do that. Um, it's like probably the most destabilizing force in the history of forces, right? The internet has brought cultures together, broken cultures apart, um, provided voices across the globe yeah. a, a method of of coming together to feel less alone, while also isolating certain people to the point where they end up being mass shooters. Um, and so the internet works as this destabilizing force within post-structuralism, and I think this is like a, a cataloging of what happens when some of those foundations come down, largely represented through humor and through how we're we're moving through it. But then it brings us back to maybe the the foundation of all culture, which is family, and it, and it like at at a certain point in the novel, she gets two texts from her mother. And the texts are something like something's wrong. How fast? How fast can you get? How here? fast can you get here? And it's this stomach dropping moment. And then because her sister is pregnant. Because her sister is pregnant, right? And then from that point, the novel largely moves away from internet. It stuff, leaves the internet, yeah. And the focus becomes on. Like, there's a lot of poetic descriptions of things like nature, poetic descriptions of the moon, poetic descriptions of the world around, like what snow looks like, how beautiful things can be. And so it returns, it moves away from post-structuralism back towards the foundations because that's what has gravity. That's where you can find weight. Because the idea of post-structuralism is that nothing has any weight or everything has the same weight and we're trying to figure it out along the way. But she's anchored to Earth by this idea of family, by this idea of this baby that exists. Mm -hmm. And or at this point, at the point it's not a it's not a baby, it's a fetus. A fetus that exists and the the idea that this fetus has something wrong with it. And the thing that's wrong with it is Proteus syndrome. Which is like a one in a billion and the way that she describes it in the book is basically the elephant man elephant man syndrome. Where her head is just growing too fast, the bo- the rest of the body's not really growing and the head is too heavy to hold it up and she can't really sit or function or it mm. seems like the baby's not going to might, might not live at all. Almost certainly won't live for a while. Which is where um like uh, we can then look at how real world politics function within this context like move away from how they function on the internet Mm -hmm. right where people are writing memes about Obamacare and things like that and she talks specifically about um, her father who has uh, like Obamacare provides a way to map the exome or something like that Mm -hmm. like uh, something that can help to figure out what's going on with the 
Uh, her father, who in the is like a Republican, it seems like, like does not. Yeah, as a conservative, yes. right? Because that's what that's what she says. She, she like once Obamacare has found like a way to help them with this problem, one of her like small victories is like, well, my father can never use Obamacare in that tone again. Right. The tone in which is so dismissive and so disgusted by this idea. And there's another part in that section where she says, um, like the father, because they're talking about maybe she should be able to um, induce birth early. Right. He's saying there must be an exception. There must be an exception. And it's like he is a guy that has, to this point, fought against the exceptions. Right. And so he's now having to deal with the world that he's made. Right. So it's like this righteously angry part, which to me, reading this is really interesting because I have read Priest Daddy. So I, I, I view this person. The as narrator a human, or her father? The, the, the father. Okay. As a human being in, right. in three dimensions. So I can, I'm seeing him as more than just, like, I think it would be easy to, to read this book and think in conservative stereotypes about mm-hmm. this person. But, but but because there's, like, significant other information about a character like him in Patricia Lockwood's previous major work, he feels a lot more three-dimensional and, and fully realized. And, and then you see, like, oh, so he's, like, caught in this dialectic between someone that wants to help his family and someone that has the this ideology right. that is so it's more of like an interesting battle uh, and i don't want to say in, interesting is a weird thing because then it's like i'm treating him like an interesting character when really like that type of person is actually hurting the world very much well it's, I, it's, I the, think it's the kind of thing where like a lot of like hatred and racism and, and stuff just comes from ignorance like it's like people hate gay people because like they've never met a gay person they don't realize that like oh it's it, they're exactly the same as me they just I think it's not maybe not exactly the same, but it's a, it's a similar where like abortion is murder until or whatever until like someone yeah. in your life is going to die essentially or whatever unless that happens. It's yeah. like oh, this changes the way. Like I didn't think about it. Like it didn't it didn't matter to me because it didn't matter to me yet, and now it matters to me. And like now I it, re- it makes me remap things in my brain. Yeah, it's like my dad, who is uh, like a, the most conservative person that I've ever known in my entire life, was always like. You know, when when after 9-11 happened, he was like, we can send you to Canada, you know, like you don't have to stay in America. And it's just like, you coward. (laughs) Like, like you want all these. Clearly, you want this war to happen and you want all. And like he would defend the war in Iraq and defend Afghanistan for the rest of his life. He would defend those things. But like when it came to his children, he would be like, you know, you shouldn't go to war. So he was pro-war, but also uh Let's get you out of here. I mean, he also didn't fight in Vietnam. He was the perfect age to fight in Vietnam, and he didn't because he spoke French. So he was like, had like a special dispensation in America so that he didn't, because he had like special skills for teaching. So he didn't have to go. Okay. Um, Which is like, you know, it's like cowardly because he was like rooting for a war, but like also like, I'm not going to do that thing. Right. I also think that, like, so the second half, when you say that, you know, we leave the internet and it becomes heavier real, it's, like, it's also, I think, emblematic of the idea that everyone's, like, life is so terrible, everything's awful. It's like, no, you're just doom-scrolling on Twitter. Like, there's more to the world. Yeah. And I think what's beautiful in a really sad way is that she escapes from this, like, prison that she's found herself in because of something that is truly devastating, but she's able to find the beauty and sort of escape the portal because she's like, Oh, right. There's more to life than just memes on Twitter. Well, And there's also a, a, a very difficult thing 
in there where where it's like, you know, the years of the dictator are the worst years, mm-hmm. right? But then it's also like, but it was also this beautiful time when this when this baby was alive, right. and that like was such a transcendent beautiful thing for my family. That how can I look at this time right. and and hold these two ideas in my head? Yeah, that it was so awful for the world and so explosively bad but at the same time like our family is is this unit that is uh existing within this this very beautiful structure um to and surviving because of that structure i mean you you come away from this book not thinking i mean it is very sad there's something really tragic about it but you don't like i don't think that much about the sadness i think about like the incredible beauty of the moment when the child was alive yeah. and how much everyone cared for her and how much they were able to give her love and, 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 and made her feel uh, joy. Well, there's like the thing, I think it's like perfectly summed up at the very end that after the baby passes away, the sister's like, I would have done this forever. I would have mm-hmm. woken up yeah, every morning, right. given it the 13 medicines, yeah. and I would have done this, and I would have done this forever. Mm-hmm. And, like, even with a $61,000 bill yeah. from the hospital, like, after insurance or whatever, she's like, I would have done this for the rest of my life. Yeah. And it's just, like, this is, like, almost unfathom- unfathomably sad, but it's, like, it it was, it meant more. Like, it just, it almost, I, I don't know. Well, it's also the depth of unconditional love right. is, like, completely impossible to, to, to measure until you're inside of it. And then it's, like, yeah, anything. Like, anything, anything, anything. I don't want to equate this, but, like, I have luckily not really dealt with real close, significant, like, personal loss. Like, I have mm-hmm. a lot of grandparents and stuff, but, like, you know, when my cat died last year, like, I was just me and her, but, like, it was not good down the stretch, and I had to give sure. her multiple medicines a day, but I was just, like, I would do that every day. Like, at a certain point, with a pet, maybe it's, it's different. We're just, like, this is not... Oh, maybe it's <laughs> No, 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 but it's, it's... No, I know. I know what you're saying. But it's this, kind of, it's this kind of thing where, like, that was objectively not fun, but yeah. I would do anything just to, like, sure. keep that going. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me that there's, there's a... Uh, uh, I think it's Emily St. John Mandel. Hold on a second. Uh, it's Emily Rapp. Okay. Is the one who wrote it. Um, she, she wrote a book called The Still Point of the Turning World, um, which is a, a memoir about um, having a child who has a, a Tay-Sachs syndrome, I believe it's called. And there's a really interesting part of that book that says – it doesn't say this. I'm, 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 I'm you know, paraphrasing or whatever. But to the, like what I got from it was like a lot of times the things that we value about children, about babies, about mm-hmm. whatever is not – who they are or what they're bringing to us in the moment, but their potential. Sure. So when a baby dies, it's like, oh, what could they have been? But the, I'm not going to say the word blessing because it's, you know, it's hard to say blessing about a, about a dying child, but there's something um, eye opening about having a sick child. At least this is what, what I got from Emily Rapp's book um, where it's like, Without worrying about the potential, without thinking about, you know, whether this child is going to grow up and be impoverished or achieve all their dreams, what you end up with is that child in the moment. And and, and you end up being able to look at that kid and think, well, now is a moment of joy. Now Now is this child kicking their legs into a piano because they've discovered music and it's beautiful and you can see them uh, squealing and you can see their eyes widening when they recognize you. Right. And they're, they're, you end up with all of these moments that are uh, 
beautiful in the moment. And that might be true. That that absolutely might be true for, for parents all over the world all the time anyway. But I think it probably condenses and and becomes you know, diamond-like under under the pressure of uh, the idea of a limited amount of time without that potential in the future. Well, there's a there's a, a sadness, but the, also the joy. I think it's the, the, the the duality, like the sadness and the joy at the same time. Where like realizing almost too late that she could play patty cake, basically. Mm-hmm. Like it's just like this is the most beautiful thing in the world, and we almost didn't have it, even though we're only gonna have it for X number of days or weeks or yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah. And it's like every little thing is so special because for a child who lives to full life or whatever, it's like, oh, we're going to have years to play patty cake. But here, just like, oh, no, we almost didn't have this ever. Yeah. And then, like, the the direct juxtaposition of that with the uh, completely, like, eternal and constantly changing world of the internet is, uh, like, it's a fascinating parallel to put yeah. those two things next to each other. I think that this is one of the funniest books I've ever read yeah. that immediately and seamlessly becomes one of the saddest books I've ever read mm-hmm. and does both, like, incredibly well. Like, just so, like, the shift is natural, both tones feel authentic, and it's, like, because I, I, like, the first half, I'm like, oh, this is gonna be, like, it felt like another, like, just, like, oh, these are funny jokes and memes and, like, you know, whatever. I'm just highlighting all these things I'm laughing, but all of a sudden I'm just, like, almost sobbing, like, Oh no! This like baby that I don't know is like semi-fictionalized you know, in a novel or whatever. It's just like this poor baby, this poor family. Yeah, and it never feels unbelievable or like. And I mean that in like the literal like I I don't. Believe well, it. it doesn't feel sentimental to me. It doesn't. It doesn't feel melodramatic or sentimental. No. I feel it feels very much grounded in the reality of how these how people react to things. One thing that I really love in this book is when they're uh, at the funeral home. And the brother introduces himself as the baby's husband by and accident. Just cracks up, yeah. And everyone just laughs because it's like, yeah, that's like how like people yeah. laugh. They're gonna find things like that hysterical. And laughing is something that you know, it's a it's a pressure valve release. Yeah. And like there's there's humor in the back half too, like at the baby's funeral, they're like, you know, it and only like in this particular era or whatever the time is, like would they play would they play trap music at the funeral and like would would my friend or brother like refer to her as a real one and it's just like it's very funny in like yeah. the way that people actually would talk mm-hmm. because like I don't know how old they are but like it's the younger sister I think probably right so like, I think I think it says that the sister was born in 1987 so this is so she's probably like maybe 30 30 like early 30s mm-hmm. so yeah like just kids really having I mean not really kids like you're they're doing it at the normal time but like you know right 30-year-olds are idiots. Everybody's an idiot, <laughs> I guess really. So, yeah. Um, I don't yeah. mean that about this woman in particular. I just mean, like, every, it's amazing to me, literally every time people have a baby, like, I don't know how you do this. I think you just do it. Like, you just figure out a way to do it. But it just feels like, oh, like, you, I knew you before you had a kid, and you were an idiot, and now you have, you're responsible for another life. Like, this is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, you just figure out a way. Yeah. Um, there's something really comforting about that. About what? About this idea of um, this family who is so, uh, I don't think it is esoteric. I, I think their humor is pretty regular. I think I think they're like especially funny people. Mm-hmm. But I think their humor is humor that most people would laugh at that are, that are in the age range that understand that these things are funny. Um, I do it, think that you have to be like, I don't know if, again, going back to the conversation from earlier, I don't know if my mom read this, if she would think this is funny. 
because I don't think she she has another same reference. Like you need you need to be of a certain age, I think, to find these people funny. Yeah, well, that's a, yeah, that's what I'm saying. But widely funny within the range, right? Yes. Okay. And 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 I think that the, like there is something comforting about the idea that that stuff endures even through tragedy, even through yeah, n- and not just tragedy, but the because because I wouldn't say the process of the baby being alive was a tragedy because it's it's really like a very very dense point of joy. For, I for think them. It, it could have been a tragedy if they responded differently, right? But they choose to find the joy in it. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. If they spend this entire time like, what did we do to deserve this? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's but, like, yeah, that, that'd be misery. Yeah, but there's something, the, their their reaction to it and their uh, the love that they have is really um, beautiful. And I think what they what it also does really well, and I think it's something that you you sort of forget about until you're in a situation like this is to remember the inherent goodness of the people around you. Mm-hmm. Like it seems like the nurses and the doctors and just like everyone, this isn't their kid, and they're just like so. Yeah. Like the nurses that are giving it a bath after it dies, yeah. or the doctor chooses not to do surgery. Like if this is my kid, I like it's just like there's such kindness in these people that like have a vested interest in the baby. But it's like at the end of the day, they go home like they've dealt with. 30 babies that day or whatever. Right? Which I think is interesting. I think, like, when, when you talk to people about things in films or books that make them cry, it's I think it's very rarely the things that make people cry are the sad things. It's usually the things that make people cry are the, are the yeah. acts of unnecessary kindness mm-hmm. because that's the thing that makes you realize that there's a lot of, um, uh, like, untapped good that, that uh, or unrecognized good yes. in the world. Because we don't see, you don't see that kind of goodness when well, you're no, walking Well, no, because, like, the disaster, and especially with the news, like, people are, like, what sells is bad stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, you watch the local news, like, there's a stabbing tonight and two arsons and a robbery and whatever. And just like, what the fuck? Like, but, like, boy gets cat out of tree is, like, with four minutes to go in the thing, just like, here's a nice story for a change of pace. It's like, no, if you do that, like, maybe it doesn't sell ad spots, but, like, people, like, have... Because the news warps your sense of the world. Like, there's a lot of bad stuff out there, but there's just a lot of good stuff. Yeah. I'm just scrolling through the uh, highlights I made on Kindle. Again, there's just... There's a lot of funny... There's a lot of things that are funny in here. Yeah, there was... There's a sense in the... um In, in the first half that it's like uh, a... um jack handy book mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. the stench of honolulu or one of the john schwartzwalder books where every single line th- there's like a punchline yes. and or or like some sort of joke that exists within almost every sentence and there's something really really uh impossible about that like i can't imagine writing something with that density uh with that level of, of density of jokes or and I think there's something about, like, the specificity or whatever of it all, right? Where it's, like, you you have the same sort of, like, reference base and you know how people act. Or, like, the, there's the guy who's, like, talking about, like, how his kid, like, he saw the ultrasound and his daughter's got nice tits. He's like, I don't know how to, I literally don't know how to act anymore. It's just, like, I don't know that somebody would say that, but it's also, yeah. like, there's the, there's the inclination online to just be, like, I'm going to one-up this. I'm going to be, like, even weirder and grosser and more out there. And then it's just like, I'm so sorry. Like, I just don't know how to – I just – like, the, it's it's all – we're all struggling with the same kind of thing. With, like, a, a, a warped inability to act normal to in act public like now. <laughs> <laughs> Which because, – because what is normal is, like, the world that exists on the internet now. Mm-hmm. And so, like, now older people or people who are not – online natives are are those are the people who are isolated increasingly by you know people who you know yeah play their phone play music on their phone when they're at the diner or whatever sometimes it's welcomed 
I want a year, her sister said fiercely. I want one year when for so long the rest of us had been thinking only how to skip ahead till the dictator was gone, how to lie down and sleep in a grass rectangle among roses till a bearable reality returned. That's also like... That's what I was talking about. Right. There's also the idea that like, just because he's gone, things are not better. They're just less actively worse. Yeah, well, or less, uh, not not as bad as front facing away, right? He gave a, a a face to a lot of the problems that we had, but there's still massive income inequality. There's still, yeah. There's also a very. I think she breaks the fourth wall. Can you break the fourth wall if you're writing in third person? Sure. Kind of. Yeah. Like with like, I don't know, ten pages left to go in the book. Well, there's a notoriously in, in Jane Eyre. Well, she's writing in first person, which says reader, I married him. Mm. Are, are you talking about the part where, where she says you don't have to read it? If keep you keep reading a little longer, not totally against your will. Yeah, like, yeah. She's basically like, I know this is ha- like we're almost done though. Yeah, like, just keep yeah, just keep right. going. It's beautiful. And then the, the the last line of the book is great. Someone like she's dancing. She's at like she's out just burning off stress. Or oh, it's very sad. The last line. Someone at some point slid her phone out of her pocket and she lifted off her feet lighter. Her whole self was on it if anyone wanted. Someone would try to unlock it later and see the baby, the picture of the baby opening her mouth, about to speak, about to say anything. Yeah, I felt really bummed about that. I hope that she had an iCloud that, that, <laughs> that maintained I think, all I think there's that backup. But I also think that, like, I could choose to see that as optimistic that, like, they might not know, but she's also like, that baby brought me so much joy. Maybe it'll bring someone else some joy, too. We have an email address, lottery at cageclub.me. Oh, also, based on the, the, the content of this book, I'd like to remind people that if they email in a receipt of uh, $25 to any abortion fund, pro-abortion fund, that uh, you can you can find regardless of, of, of what that is. Um, whatever, you, use your best judgment. If you email that receipt in, uh, with your address, I'll send you a book from my library. Very cool. I think you've made that, that offer before in here, but not in a while, so yep, doing a good thing again. Meg's reaction to no one is talking about this. This book snuck up on me. First half was a little eye-rolly for me. Yeah, Meg's not extremely online. She didn't, Yeah, go ahead. I listened to the audiobook, and the person who did the reading did it in such a way that all I could think of was the students in Mount Chicago, the ones who inspired After to make the calendar. Ooh. <laughs> Condemning. Because <laughs> those kids are terrible. Uh, I wasn't thinking that at all. Bobby told me this book was about a sick baby as a trigger warning, but the worst part of it was when the narrator was talking about her sister being pregnant. Yeah, I, I, I gave her a, a content warning for that. About halfway through, she texted me saying, was that did you was that warning that you gave me a massive spoiler? And I said, well, no, I don't think that it is. And then she texted me before before the sister had given birth. She texted me saying, well, I wouldn't say this is about a sick baby because it's a fetus, right? It's not mm-hmm. a, not a baby. It's it's a fetus. So that's the, I think that's the difference between between that and, and and at that point we should not be concerned about the baby. We should be concerned about the mother, right? Um, so I think I think she uh, looked at that as me being um, not sensitive to the mother's to, 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 to the mother's health, but thinking of it as as being about a sick baby. Egg, just keep reading. It's the second juridical postulate, right? Keep reading. Is that my that's my that's my catchphrase? Well, you. It's actually read on. What is the second juridical postulate? It's the first juridical postulate. Well, I don't know what that on. is. What is that? The second juridical postulate is it can be done. What are you saying? I don't even know I, what ju- words you're saying. Juridical. I don't know what that means. Like jury. Oh. Postulate. Like statement? Yeah. 
But what are those? One is the for number one. But where are they come from? Number one is read on, and number two is it can be done. And if you if you look at if you if if you're if you have a problem, keep reading because you will come to a like, oh. like an answer within the reading. Don't just like assume an answer or assume a problem within within that within like what you've read so far. The answer might be toward the end of the text. And the second thing is it can be done, which is you know, figure it out. Don't don't give up on it. It, it. it can be finished once you have all of the information. Then make your decision and move forward with. It. So it's kind of like how like ten minutes to a movie. My dad's like, "Who's that?" I'm like, "I don't know. Maybe they'll tell us." Yes, exactly. Okay. The book was brilliant in its range of depth. She really took an about face in this email. The book was brilliant in its range of depth. The fact that this first part is so shallow. Again, I don't think it's shallow. And the second part is so raw makes this novel particularly effective. The two parts together bring out the strengths of the other half. All in all. A pretty good book, but not the, quite the best book I read this year. Sh- uh, yeah, shallow is not the word that I would use to describe it either. I think I think it's a like a pretty solid ethnography of what it means to be a person living entirely on the internet in a certain year. So this came out last year. Was this your favorite book last year? It's one of them, probably. I would imagine, right? Yeah, I don't know if I. I don't know if I. Did you not rank books last year? I don't know. Let's say it was. Because I think it's great. Like I don't, I don't yeah. see a flaw in this book, and I don't think yeah. it's shallow. I think, I, I would agree with Egg that each half helps the other stand up more. Like it, it, it adds more gravity to the other half. But like, no, I think I think it's perfectly balanced. I also think maybe it's the, just what you said that she's not extremely online, and so you, it does feel like, not as a niche thing, because like I'm not on as online as a lot of other people, but I also am online enough to know specifically what she's talking about here. And I appreciate that about it. But mm-hmm. I, get, I would imagine that if you don't know the thing or whatever, it might just be like a collection of – did she like the Darcy book? Do you remember? Did she like Darcy? No, she hated it. Remember she said she was like, this character is unlikable. Oh, cetera, right, right, right. Darcy did say she loved this book though, right? We brought this, I think, in the conversation. I think. I don't remember. I think she loved this. They um, do feel of a type, but the type we both – we kind of – we don't exactly agree on like the relationship between them. But they're both of a certain – yeah. Kind. Yeah, for sure. The the type the types of books that our parents wouldn't understand at all. Yeah. Thank you, Egg. If you want to email in lottery at cageclub.me, and we will read on the next episode. We still have a, a good amount of the season to go, but like, I'd read the Darcy book before. I love that I knew that, but I loved A Touch of Jen. I loved this. And this is some heavy hitters mm-hmm. this season. Yeah, doing pretty good. Pretty good so far. Uh, what's the weakest so far? Uh, mine is Snow Crash. I would, but just because I don't, I did not. I think similarly, I did not enjoy the novelist the way that you did not enjoy Snow Crash. Yeah, yeah okay. but I think we both see objectively mm-hmm. there's stuff to appreciate. It's just not what we want to see in a, in a thing. Fair. We have a Patreon page, Patreon.com/slash/LotteryPod, Lottery at CageClub.me at LotteryPod on Twitter as the first jur- judicial. Juridic, jur- yeah, no, that's right. You got it. The J postulate says, Keep read going. on. Uh, today's crime is um, that thing where you like clone someone's credit information out of their pocket with like a weird machine. Hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. What's that called? I don't know. But, like We can call it like credit cloning. Credit cloning. Credit cloning. 